second. Good afternoon. It is Friday, uh, February 3rd. We're already in the second month of February. I can't believe it. The time flies. I'm not going to talk about the weather because it's cold everywhere. Um, I always open the shows with weather, Michael. It's kind of crazy. But anyway, um, we're, we have a guest today who has a, a big job with a big company. We'll introduce him in a second. But first, I want to greet Robin Schooling. We've already said Happy New Year a couple times, Robin, but welcome to this episode. And uh, I think you have a little bit of news you might want to share. I do have a little bit of news, and um, we don't have to talk about the weather, but we can talk about Mardi Gras instead, but maybe mm. we'll save that for as we get a little bit closer to the actual, you know, day as opposed to the season. Uh, but yes, I um, I started a new gig uh, this week with a longtime friend of the show and a longtime friend of ours, so it's really quite fun. Um, and I've joined Humoriso, um, which of course is uh, our friend John Baldino's uh, company, and uh, it's very exciting because we're going to come in and build out um, – really a separate service offering and it's work that that john and the team have done for a number of years but they're very well known obviously for hr outsourcing was kind of how the business started but the team is up to about 30 people um and i'm going to come in as the director of talent strategy so it's a good conversation we're going to have today i'm going to learn some things from michael uh, <laughs> to take with us but um building out um a practice area to talk about, uh, talk and help and partner with our clients on everything when you think about the talent cycle. So everything from workforce planning to talent attraction and acquisition, onboarding and cultural socialization and performance management and and uh, growth and learning and development and really kind of that entire cycle all the way to offboarding and all of those interconnected pieces that... Um, that really drives drive the success of an organization through its people. And so we're, um, we're building that out and I am pumped. Awesome. Well, congratulations. Um, and coincidentally, we have a guest today who is also in the, the, uh, the same general space of talent management, although perhaps on a scale a little bit larger than 30 a people. Bit scale. Yeah. <laughs> so our guest is, our guest is Michael Errett and Michael is the global the, the direct, I'm just going to screw this up. Director of Global Talent Management at Johnson and Johnson. Did I get that even anywhere close, Michael? You're generally Michael. Good enough, Michael, not to interrupt. I'll let you keep going. Awesome. So, and and Michael does a lot of different things, which we're going to spend about the next 25 minutes or so talking about related to talent management and workforce analytics and some other things. But uh, welcome to Drive Through HR, Michael. Thanks for doing this. Uh, we don't get guests uh, from companies the size of J and J that that often. So I, I think the perspective you can share with our listeners might be a little bit unique. Uh, although certainly we have listeners who work at companies of your size, um, but the perspective is different as you can see from Robin's, Robin's universe. So, but for the purposes of getting started, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us uh, more about who you are and what you do. Sure. And, uh, you know, Robin, Michael, thank you so much for having me. I think you're being extremely humble as it relates to the audience and guests that you have for Drive Through HR podcast. This is, I was really excited to join you all today, and I'm very appreciative of you inviting me. Uh, so, as Michael said, my name is Michael Arrett. I'm the head of global talent management for Johnson and Johnson. Um, I have spent about 25 years in the space of HR. I started out in finance and then quickly pivoted 
to HR. And, and since then, I've kind of bounced back and forth between HR business partner roles and roles in talent management with specific focus on leadership development. Um, I've always worked in healthcare for three different rather large companies. And um, I guess maybe rounding things out, I've lived and worked in all four kind of regions of the world. Um, and as I referenced before, with that note to leadership, that is really my area of, of passion and and interest and you know the study and attempted application of leadership is, is really what inspires me. And I've done a lot of studying in that space. So I have two doctorates, one in um, organizational leadership and one in global leadership and change, both from Pepperdine. So it's a little bit about me. Well, we appreciate you coming on the show and I look forward to hearing your perspective. Um, I'm gonna take the next question and then Robin and I are gonna bounce back and forth. And we may ask an impromptu question or two, but we'll, uh, we'll have an interesting discussion. So I, I did a did a, you know a, the bare minimum research this morning that I could do, which is I went and looked at your LinkedIn profile, and I and I laughed because I was like, man, there's like ten topics that this guy covers. So not topics, but ten areas of responsibility that you have. And I I, I jokingly said that your LinkedIn profile is a mouthful, but basically what I read was that you oversee succession management, talent development, talent acquisition, talent mobility, performance management assessment and workforce analytics on a global basis, right? So that's a huge, you know, I know I, the joke about the mouthful aside, that's a huge amount of responsibility with a tremendous range of diversity in the areas that you cover it from just from a business perspective. So tell us, um, I guess, tell us in that universe, like, how do you, first of all, how do you handle it and what matters the most? And does it depend on what part of the world you're dealing with at any given time? Yeah, so so now now it feels like Michael, I'm having a conversation with my mom, as I'm sure many people, as many of your <laughs> listeners are, uh, can can relate, which is trying to explain what we do. And you're right, mm -hmm. that, that that is a mouthful. What do we? So the scope, my, I mean, I maybe the the most simple way to um, explain my role is, I think there's two parts to it, right? So one is um, setting the strategy and delivering on the big talent machine. So that's around. Recruiting people, accessing talent, moving people, and growing people, right? So that's big talent machine. On the other end is an, an element of um, succession management. And um, I lead a team called Decision Science, and it's really thinking about how we use our process and information to make better decisions about people. So that has everything to do. And I spend a lot of time focused on succession management of the company. Uh, from the CEO and our executive committee to our um, what we deem to be our most critical position. So it's a little bit of a dichotomy of the job I have, big talent machine, and then kind of running the top of the house succession and making good decisions about people. Yeah. Now, your role, obviously, as, as the organization um, is global. Your role is also global. How, how, how many global employees... Um, do you have and and how does what you do differ um in in different you know amia versus north america versus apac whatever yeah so our, our uh, uh employee uh population is about one hundred forty thousand uh globally in 85 different countries um we service over a billion people a day providing life-altering and life-changing uh, solutions uh, Robin, it's such a good question. I think it's it's something that a lot of HR practitioners, including I'm sure many of your listeners, um, 
are grappling with is, is this notion of personalization at scale. And I, I yeah. would say the answer to that is being very clear, at least our, our, our strategy here is to be extremely clear on what is, um, what are the things that should be globally consistent? And what are the things where we need to have the ability to sort of adapt and customize down to the local level? So for example, at Johnson & Johnson, um, you know, one thing which is unequivocally global is our credo. All right, so that's our purpose. And um, it was a document that was written 80 years ago by the son of our founder, mm. uh, General Robert Wood Johnson. And that is, um, that is a declaration of our values and the responsibilities that we have to four different cons constituencies, including um, our patients to start, our employees, our communities, and ultimately our shareholders. So that's one thing, for example, that would be globally consistent. Um, as you work your way down from our, our credo, um, we has, have a set of consistent leadership imperatives or leadership expectations. Our baseline philosophy is, you know, no matter where you are in the world, leadership is leadership. There's an aspect of how you manage energy and cultivate um, you know, growth that is consistent around the world. How that translates based on cultural nuances can be different though. So for us, whether it's recruiting or training and development or succession, it's being really clear around where do we need to be globally consistent? And then where do we need to allow for you know, customization? So a good example of that is I talked about our, our credo as being our guiding light. Um, how we think about our employee value proposition globally is somewhat consistent in that we want people that have an aligned value system with us, right? Yeah. We want people that want to help and serve the world and help other people. So our, our notion is come join J&J &J and change everything, Look, change the world and, and change everything, including yourself. Mm. How that pulls through in each of our local markets, though, can be sort of customized based on the culture. So we'll have specific recruiting campaigns um, and, and, and themes and training, et cetera, that are more relevant to sort of the cultural nuances uh, that exist. Sorry, Michael, can't can't hear you. Yeah. Oh. No. Oh, now. He's still, he's still now. Up. Oh, sorry. <laughs> there we go. Uh, my my. I thought uh, my last answer was so good. I just left him speechless. But uh, speechless. my <laughs> my lips were moving, but no sound was coming out. Yeah, I'm working at a Starbucks, unfortunately, and so I'm trying to keep the the background noise down. Um. So, with 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 some of the discrete areas, um, you know, you had, you know, the a different set of responsibilities or a broad set of responsibilities. Some of the discrete areas, I wanted to kind of talk about how you approach certain areas. So let's talk about a couple. And one of the two of that were mentioned was career mapping and succession planning. And succession planning, my experience at many companies is something that's not done well. So how do you do it? And, and then, you know, uh, maybe even more important for listeners, if you're not really good at it, how do you get better? How do you do it well? Yeah, so um, I would say, you know, first off, it's sort of how do we define succession management? What does that mean? And um, we really put a lot of time, energy, and focus on what we deem to be succession management, which is a real focus on the positions that are most important in the company. And many of these positions are very senior, sort of the top of the house, but those can also be positions that are lower in the organization, but really drive 
uh, differential value. And I think we all sort of recognize this, right? It's, it's not always the head of sales that has the most important position. It could be that sales manager that is, has a huge opportunity to generate value or the head of R&D may not be the, you know, the most important. It might be that R&D director who's leading a big program. So what we do every, um, you know, every year is sort of delineate what are those most important positions. And they're generally in the couple hundred range. And that's where we focus our effort on succession management, which for us is different than talent planning. So we think at every level, we should always be doing talent planning, talent scouting, scenario planning, continuity planning, talent development, et cetera. On the succession management part of it, Michael, I mean, I think that starts with, and for maybe your listeners that um, are just entering the space or looking to advance that capability um, and not that Johnson & Johnson is perfect, um, but we've been at this a long time and we've got some pretty good results for, you know, a, a, as, as an example of that, um, last year we named a new CEO, which was the eighth CEO in our history of a 130 year old company. Um, that doesn't happen by accident, right? That's a lot of intent and planning and, um, uh, and energy that's invested in that. So succession management at its root starts with what are the positions that are most important? And then what are the success profiles for those positions? So what, what, what would it be required for someone to be successful in that role? Not only today, but what we anticipate for the future. We think about those roles in multiple dimensions. So we think about them in, relates, in relation to the competencies or skills and experiences that are required for someone to be successful in that role, but also in the behavioral aspects of traits and drivers, right? So the, the softer skills that would be required to be successful in those roles. Then we build it into a process. So we engage our, our, um, our CEO meets regularly with his direct reports on these positions, our executive committee meets consistently um, on a monthly and quarterly basis on this. We, we meet regularly with our board and you know, anywhere from our check-ins to a day and a half in which we spend with them in September, reviewing how we're doing as it relates to succession management. We have metrics, it's built into a scorecard that our executive committee and board are held accountable to. Uh, so we have a target for number of, of these critical positions that are filled internally through our succession plans. Um, so maybe just sort of, sort of a quick summation of this very long answer is succession <laughs> management. What are the most important positions? What are the success profiles for them? And then using data and technology, how do we ensure that we've got deep pipelines and then building it into how we run the company? So regularly yeah. reviewing it, holding people accountable to that, measuring it, and then um, you know, making adjustments where we have gaps. Thanks, Michael. Um, you know, go ahead, Robin. Sorry, the, go ahead. The, yeah, you know, the mention you mentioned tech uh, and and use of technology and um, within your your sphere of talent management at at J and J. Um, what does your tech stack look like? What um, uh, the question is always. You know how many <laughs> applications are you using? Um, I guess what um, and secondarily, what technology have you perhaps recently added to your to your tech stack to your toolkit that you wonder how you lived without? Yeah. So, Robin, as as I'm, I know that you know, um, the advancements that our practice in HR has made and 
you know, cross industries have made from a technology and data perspective has been incredible and only exponentially increasing in terms of, of speed. I remember when I first started working at J&J many, many years ago, um, if we wanted to get an accurate headcount view, we would go to an office and literally like count chairs, right? <laughs> right. To the point where we are today, where we have an application on all of our phones, where I can instantaneously give you an to the minute account of headcount, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. you can imagine, I mean, I've been, I haven't been working all that long, but it, things have advanced tremendously. And, and as it relates to these practices in which I, which I oversee the, the it's a completely different world um, that has been transformed, you know, probably several times over. And that starts with having information on your people, right? Yeah. And the, the, you know, starting from the applicant process, the information that, um, that employees are, um, you know, willing and comfortable to share with us, right? Because they know that there would be an outcome. So we're very explicit on that in terms of a, a, a privacy and transparency perspective. But having that data that can, that can uh, from an employee perspective, capture what an employee's current skill base is, what their experiences are, what their aspirations are, allows us, has allowed us to move to a new world where we're not putting the burden on employees to have to navigate a system. So they work in a big company. As you can imagine, we invest a lot in our people and we have lots of development and growth opportunities. Prior to sort of some of these technology advancements, though, it's sort of been on the employee to help to, to, to basically try to navigate that with support. Yeah. Now, because of the information that's now available to us organizationally, we can start to connect people to development and growth opportunities, whether it be learning or mentors or gigs or jobs, and then push the appropriate content to them rather than have them having to find it. So we talked about succession management as an example. In the past, companies would say, okay, we got an important job, like, all right, let's sit around a table and think about who do we got? You know, and they'll come up with the list, you know, they'll, they'll document the mm -hmm. list and then may, they, they'll maybe validate that. Now with the data and technology available to us, we are sourcing, you know, in a, in a really automated way based on specific criteria um, mm -hmm. that is skills-based and discoverable to make sure that we're pulling all of the talent that's available and then we're validating through a number of objective measures like performance and potential assessments, et cetera. So it, the, the, the base philosophy hasn't necessarily changed in some of these places, but the technology and data availability has allowed us to do it in so many, you know, in, in, in a much, much better way. Mm -hmm. The thing, sorry, Robin, it, it, the thing, you know, maybe to answer the second part of your question really quick, the thing we're most excited yeah. about from, on the talent front from a tech perspective is um, what I would call a talent experience or talent, talent user experience exchange, where I talked about this, this matchmaking, right? It's having now uh -huh. um, a talent user interface where people can go in and we infer some of this data and they share some information and being able to match that up to all these development and growth opportunities. So as a J&J as a employee, you can enter into this new environment we call J&J Learn, which we just launched last September. Um, you spend about 10 minutes talking about your purpose and your values and your aspiration. We infer skills based on the information we have on you that you validate. Mm -hmm. And then we can immediately in 10 minutes start giving you personalization. So here's personalized learning content. Here's some, um, some gigs that may help you advance your skills. And here are potential mentors that might be able to help you with the skills that mm -hmm. you want to develop. Um, 
so that's what I'm, you know, of, of note most recently, most excited about. I love that. Yeah, very cool. Um, Michael, I'm going to, I have a, uh, just a quick off script question um, for our loosely scripted show anyway. And that is, I didn't do the research. Is Johnson & Johnson privately held? No, it's a publicly held company. Publicly held company. Okay. Because you mentioned the founders, you know, from 130 years ago or whatever the number was, um, Mr. Johnson, right? I wondered. And with eight, only eight CEOs, I worked at a couple of privately held companies where that the family owned for a long time, right? You know, so it's, uh, but I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't sure. I appreciate that. So I'll, I'll defer what the rest of what I was going to ask because it probably doesn't apply. My my actual question for you was you just talked a little bit about like the 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 learning and, and personalization stuff, but how how do you guys use tech for learning and development, and also how do you use it to address kind of the new models of work that we kind of have in evolving organically, you know, day to day here between hybrid and remote and all that kind of stuff. How are you guys approaching those kind of challenges? Michael, just on the second part of your question, can can you? I'm I'm not tracking with you on that. So it's how are we using tech on ways Sorry. of working and how to how how are you using that to facilitate people working in a hybrid or remote environment? Some of the changing ways that we you know work these days that are affecting seemingly all employers. Got right? it. Got it. Got it. Got it. So, and I talked a little bit around learning and development, and I think you know we'd all agree that people learn in different ways, right? Um, I would say sort of the generation that is, you know, entering the workforce is one, um, you know, that grew up in a, a, a digitally native environment. Um, and the way of accessing information is probably, you know, not to overgeneralize, but it's probably if I, if I need to know something, I'm going to go look for it online. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, tap into technology for it. Um, it's similar to how, you know, I think all of us may be adapting our learning styles, which is if I'm going to a wedding and I need to learn how to tie a bow tie, I'll go on YouTube and put in how to tie a bow tie. And I'm, you know, watching yeah. the thing as I, as I tie it up. Um, I think a lot of companies are making and are in the process of making this shift of mix in which people get their learning. So I think primarily in the past, it's been sort of the face-to-face -face or programmatic um, and whatever that percentage is, whether it was 70, 30 or 80, 20 or whatever companies had, I think it's quickly flipping, which is that people want to learn and apply. They want on-demand learning. They want to be able to absorb their information in short bite-sized chunks. And I think we're trying to adapt to how people want to learn. So, um, you know, I talked about J&J Learn. And for us, that's a, a big red front door for learning is what we would call it. So people can come in and access learning and growth opportunities, including an enormous library of learning content, which we've, we've either licensed or created. The cool part is now it's not, hey, user, you've got to search and find it on your own. It's we have personalized content and it's almost like a, a Netflix-like experience where there's learning channels and tiles and organization rooted in the skills that people need to advance or where their areas of interest are. So you click under one of these tiles and then you can get the myriad of how you develop. So I can watch a two minute video, I can read a book, I can attend a class, you know, read an article, whatever it would be, but different ways of learning. So that's, you know, it's just way cool in terms of the day and age we're living in and, and you know, really excited about the future in terms of um, where, where we will go with tech. Um, in terms of how we're using technology to, you know, support our ways of working, you know, who would have thought, I mean, and, you know, sort of pre-COVID, um, 
how reliant would we become on, on video conferencing technology and um, just how much that sort of advanced everyone in, in their own digital proficiency around how we work. So at Johnson & Johnson, we've really, we've really leaned into um, digital connectivity as a means to share information, to make decisions, to make meetings more efficient, to even manage conflict. And it's, and, you know, it's using systems and technology in the flow. So it's sort of how do we move away from email, but how do we um, share information and store information in the flow of work in different ways? So, you know, outside of everyone being very comfortable with a Zoom meeting and having some people in person and, and using, a, you know, Zoom or Microsoft Teams or whatever platform you're using, mm -hmm. um, I, I see a real uptick, at least in our company, in the use of um, productivity enablement technology, which is allowing us to be more efficient. Mm -hmm. Very cool. I, I've, I've, I've often liked that um, uh, that concept and that phrase, and I can remember Josh Burson first popping out with it quite a few years ago already, it seems, with the learning and the flow of work mm -hmm. and just sort of that shift, um, which had been building, you know, for some time already. Um, but these last these last few years, as with everything else, uh, accelerated it. And, and I think it really took roost um, for a lot of organizations that never really would have gone down the path they have of how do we impart information or collaborate or uh, resolve conflict, as you said, which is an interesting way to think about, you know, kind of digital means to do that. Um, it's fascinating. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, we're we're learning a lot, I think, from um, consumer grade experiences with this this notion that that Burson introduced of in the flow, and it's not just on learning and development, right? Yeah. It's it's the flow yeah. of life, and and you know, based on this the yeah. data that's available to it, to us as well, how do we think about milestones that an employee may um, encounter, whether they be personal or professional, and how we can help support them? So, a good example that's on the benefit side, which is you know, how do we um, of course, again, with the employee's permission, you know, understand that maybe, um, you know, a parent may be expecting, and we have a lot of support for, you know, parents at J&J, &J, and rather than having to find it, it's we push the content at the right time, or you may have a child that's about to enter college, and we have great resources to help navigate the college application process, and yeah. how do we push that? So you can take that yeah. from onboarding to promotional opportunities, to managing people, to retirement, mm -hmm. You know, there's mm -hmm. there's moments that matter, and when you think about how they want to interact them, they don't want to do a training six years before and try to remember mm -hmm. it. It's I'm in that moment now, and I need help, and I uh, and the company offers mm -hmm. help, and how do we sort of connect that easier? Yep. Cool. Um, <clears throat> well, we are um, we had a couple other questions, but we've kind of hit our uh, hit our time here of just getting in on thirty minutes. So, first we of could, all, we could talk forever. Yeah, we, we could we could talk for a, a while longer for <laughs> You'll sure. You have to have um, me on for uh, for part two to be continued. We'll, see, we'll right. see what the, the the listenership looks like, and you can let the data uh, tell the story. We'll we'll uh, we'll <laughs> yeah. We usually get between five hundred and a thousand downloads in in the first you know twenty days or so. So we'll see. We'll let you know for sure. Um, well, if I than, only get two hundred, then I suspect I won't be invited back. No, 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 no. We're so, so everyone we're, listen we're, in. 
<laughs> yeah, we uh, this this is a this is an interesting way to run a podcast. So anyway, um, no, Michael. I, first of all, thanks so much for doing the show. It was a great conversation, uh, really interesting perspective, and uh, took us a minute to find a time to do it. But glad glad that you're able to be on. Um, I guess I would offer you the opportunity to to end with two things. One is any final thoughts you might like to sum up with. And then in the event somebody wanted to reach out to contact you, what might be the best way for one of our listeners to do that if they were so interested? Thanks, Michael. I mean, I um, so two thoughts. One would be I'll share a quote from a science fiction novelist, Stephen Gibson, who said, the future is here, it's just not evenly distributed. And mm -hmm. I, it's a little bit of a call to action amongst my fellow HR practitioners is there's some awesome stuff happening. And um, yeah. you know, some of it might be a j and a lot of it may not be, but it's sort of how do we create opportunities like this podcast and so forth to connect, to share information, to be able to extract those learnings for where is some best of class stuff and what can we learn from each other? Mm -hmm. So I, I think that's just sort mm -hmm. of, Maybe one final thought is how far we could go together versus individually. Um, in terms of where people can find me, LinkedIn is the place to go. I try to be uh, as active as I can be on LinkedIn. So if you want to connect with me or contact with me, um, LinkedIn would be the place. And I'll do my best to make sure we, uh, we, we get connected. Well, we appreciate we appreciate that, uh, Michael. Thanks so much. Uh, I was I was reminded of the, the an old old movie, the the Graduate, with Dustin Hoffman, and the line was, "Plastics, Benjamin, plastics." Now it's <laughs> technology and AI, Benjamin, technology. Anyway, um, so we'll, that, that's another show. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll see about having you back on for part two, Michael. It would be a would be an interesting conversation. But thanks so much for doing the show. I'm going to go ahead and end the recording. I hope. Thanks, Michael. Congrats hey, on the new role, Robin. Thank you. Robin, have a good uh, rest of the week uh, the, for the half day that's left, and we'll talk again soon.